Okay. Welcome, everybody. This is Tim Travis, uh, CEO of TNT Capital Management. Hope you guys had a great Christmas and great holiday season. And uh, the markets just finally closed, and we got one more trading day left in the year. So I think it'd be a great time to kind of look into 2024 and and really um, discuss strategy. And we'll talk specific opportunities that are out there. I'm just going to make sure there's no kind of technical difficulties here. Um, before we get started, everything looks good. Okay, excellent. All right, so let's go ahead and get started. Firstly, investing in the financial markets involves the risk of loss. Options are not suitable for all investors and past performance is not indicative of future results. So let's talk about how we invest. Uh, so TNT Capital Management started uh, about 12 years ago and uh been in the business about 20 years, but but the firm was started to really offer a boutique investment advisory experience for clients that that really want uh, customized portfolios. Uh, what we do is we hand select each and every stock and bond and, and fund in the portfolio. Uh, so we look for undervalued stocks and bonds that offer less risk and better returns than the overall market over the long term. And those are risk adjusted returns. In addition to these types of securities, we're going to employ conservative measures such as covered calls and cash secured puts to uh, enhance income and reduce risk further. So these are kind of some of the tactical uh, tactics that we use within the strategy strategies of value investing uh, that I think give us a big edge on a lot of the competition. Uh, and then we really don't do any speculating. We're not in the gambling business. Uh, so so we're not, you know, buying lots of call options or anything like that or or speculating on on futures. Uh, it's just it's just not what we do generally. So here's a quote, and I think that I saw this today actually, and so I added it last minute. And I think it really sums up the current environment. So it's from Nicola Machiavelli, and he wrote it in the Prince. And so he he wrote this during the Renaissance. And it is a common fault not to anticipate storms when the sea is calm. And so I, I really feel this sums up, uh, you know, the environment as we close the year. I mean, it was a wild year. Most of the year it was, it was those top seven glamour stocks that were leading the way. And then, you know, the last month and a half, really the, the rally broadened dramatically. And so I, I feel like most people are pretty bulled up and optimistic going into the next year, which is very different than they were going into this year after the big sell-off in 2022. So I, I think it's good to, to think about potential storms. And then here's a quote from Seth Klarman, one of the great value investors. He says, uncertainty is not the same as risk. Indeed, when there's great uncertainty, such as in the fall of 2008, it drives securities prices to especially low levels so they often become less risky investments. So just really the the contrast of the Machiavelli quote, you know, when when times are tough and 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 you know bears have been winning, uh, that's often when the best values are found in the market. And so there was quite a few uh, of those values earlier in the year, particularly after March and the the so-called banking crisis occurred. Um, so we'll get into that. So state of the markets. Uh, the price to earnings ratio of the S&P is around 26.2. It's roughly 39% higher than, than the historical mean. The earnings yield, which is just the inverse of that, is only 3.8%. So if the S&P were to pay out all of its earnings as a cash dividend 
uh, the yield would be 3.8%, pretty paltry. On an inflation-adjusted rate, uh, the, the PE is 32, and so that's 23.4% higher, higher than the historical average. 10-year uh, Treasury bonds are yielding right around 3.8%. Now, keep in mind, about a month and a half ago, that, that was close to 5%. So we've seen a historic bond rally. And most of the people that have signed up for this webinar today uh, subscribe to our newsletter. So thank you for that. And uh, you'll you'll have seen our, our editorials about, you know, bonds offering just massive, massive opportunity with really attractive yields. And, uh, you know, if you've taken that advice or if you're a client, you know, you've been the beneficiary of that. So there still are good opportunities, but but it's it's been a great rally. It was a, it was prime uh, season to buy bonds earlier in the year. And keep in mind, guys, that the, the government has over $33 trillion in debt. So, I mean, the reality is, is that the interest alone is becoming such a massive part of the, the government budget that that, that number is just going to keep increasing. You know, and there's neither side really wants to cut it, it seems. Uh, so, so there's going to be a lot of opportunities and volatility in bonds. Investment grade bonds are yielding around 5.4%. And high yield bonds are just under 8% on average. Okay. So those numbers are down from a few months ago as well, of course. Now, market participants are, are seem pretty complacent. So their expectations in this survey across advisors and, and investors. So advisors in the US think that stocks will average 7.6% or or excuse me, long-term portfolio returns will be 7.6% is what they expect. And then investors are, uh, you know, double that at 15.6%. They expect 15.6% a year returns. So I think you want to look at recency bias and market site behavioral psychology here. You know, we're coming off a great era of investing. And so it's natural that people think that that's going to keep occurring, but you have to really study the long-term history of markets and often when everyone's most optimistic, that's a good time to kind of, you know, be, be a little more conservative and cut risk. This brings me back to a time, uh, you know, kind of one of the last eras similar to this was the tech bubble. And, and I mean, we, most of us probably remember it pretty well. And people were very exuberant going into uh, Y2K and, and the new millennium. And uh, from 2000 to 2012, stocks went absolutely nowhere. You know, I mean, it was just, it was just a uh, a, a very negative uh, environment. Stocks were range bound at best, with huge, huge downturns. Uh, it was an era where value investing really outperformed. A lot of the great value investors built their reputations during that time frame. And I think there's some similar dynamics going into these next few years because the market's pretty expensive. Uh, p investors are pretty optimistic. You know, and and I think that could set the stage up for for potential failure. So I think you want to be very smart and hand select. You know, both the asset allocation and and the the individual securities you're investing in. So the current popular themes. Okay, so so one of them that we've talked about all year and and really seen all year is uh, large caps versus small caps. So. So small caps, which coincidentally dramatically outperformed from 2000 to 2010, they have underperformed in the last decade. 
by, by a big margin. And, and the long-term track record of small caps is better than large caps. Um, so this was a great, great little graph by Charlie Bolello. Um, and, and, and so it shows that, you know, this is an era where large caps are dramatically outperforming when compared to small caps. Same thing, growth versus value. Just like 2000 to 2012 was a great era for value. Uh, this has been a great era for growth. You know, I mean, and we saw it this year with the AI stocks, you know, a lot of those stocks that did so well this year, they got crushed last year. Um, but over the last decade, those stocks have been the, the better ones to own for sure. And, and then U.S. versus international. International outperformed uh, between 2000 and 2010, uh, but they have underperformed relative to U.S. stocks in the last decade. So those are the themes now. Does that mean that the next decade will be the same? You know, who nobody knows for sure, but but I mean reversion is a very powerful theme in, in finance and investment. And so that's going to be something to watch. And I think that what what this shows is that there's really good opportunities in small caps, in value, and in international stocks. I we find a lot of attractive things in Europe. Japan had a really nice year. Even emerging markets uh, are 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 pretty attractive. Uh, you have to determine if you want China risk or not. I don't really, I, I don't really like taking that risk uh, in China, but outside of China as well, I think there's opportunities. So I think the fundamental question as we go into 2024 is: Is inflation really dead? All right, because what's happened is is you know from 2020, uh, inflation skyrocketed uh, as the economy was shut down, supply chains were disrupted. Uh, so much, so many trillions of dollars were printed uh, across the globe. You know, easy to see why we had inflation. And now it's come down quite a bit. Keep in mind that most prices are up dramatically, often 20%, 30% or more. Just look at housing, you know, from those levels, but it's based on, you know, annual increases. Uh, so the rate of change is declining. Now, this chart's great uh, from Y charts because. And once again, Charlie Bolello, who does a good job with this stuff, it shows if you go back to the 1970s, you can see that inflation came down pretty dramatically and then it spiked back up. You know, you had some different dynamics there. You had the you had the oil crisis, um, uh, the embargo and, and aspects like that. Uh, and you also had some some labor dynamics. Uh, but I mean, look what's going on this year. Uh, you know, geopolitically, what's occurring in the Middle East and in Russia are very significant to energy supplies and risk. And and you know, our our strategic petroleum reserve is empty. Our, our has emptied relatively. It's it's at some of the lowest levels it it's been in in some quite some time. Uh, so could it spike again? It certainly is not impossible. I mean, if you saw something like like an OPEC embargo. Um, or or some black swan like that, uh, war with Iran, uh, you know that could that could really have a harmful impact on on inflation, uh, but that'll be a question. I'm not I'm not predicting one way or the other there, but I think you want to be prepared for either either scenario. So what is the best bond strategy for 2024? So either a recession or reinflation are reasonable possibilities for 2024, and I'm just going to tell you you all. <laughs> My crystal ball is is broken, so I'm not I'm not in the business of predicting macroeconomics. We want to live in the micro, but I think that it could go either way. You know, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, so what we suggest to prepare for that is really a dynamic barbell strategy, 
where we're going to combine some short-term uh, bonds. Uh, so like even short-term government bonds are, are pretty attractive still. You know, you can get over 5.3% on those uh, and you don't have uh, duration risk, which is, which is attractive. So having a, a little bit of that, having some intermediate, so let's think like three to let's say five to seven years even, uh, that, that area on, on corporate side, I think we're finding a little more value there. And then also on long-term bonds, I think, you know, you don't want to look at this environment where we had rates go up so much and think, shoot, I didn't lock down any of that because what people found going into this year, everyone, a lot of people were so scared that they just had T-bills and stuff like that, or, or they were doing the CDs and stuff like that. And so they missed a huge opportunity to lock in yield for a longer duration and also get the benefits of convexity where, you know, the, the bonds rise in value to the decline in interest rates. Uh, so, so we saw double digit, you know, uh, some 15 to 20% type returns on some of those bond securities. Uh, so in just a couple of months, so it, I think that's how you want to prepare. And I think having a little bit of floating rate exposure is a good idea too. Um, to do that, we use a couple of funds and often those funds are trading at discounts to their net asset value. Um, so that that's, I still think, a reasonable part of the portfolio. A lot of those funds, by the way, have yields well over 10%. Uh, and, they, and so if rates go up again, we'll be protected. And they held up a heck of a lot better than other bonds did uh, you know, prior to the recent rate decline. So the big theme, of course, of this year was the Magnificent Seven versus the rest. So big, big tech stocks, they jumped 75% in 2023, probably a little more because uh, this was a few days ago. And they make up about 30% of the S&P 500. Uh, the average PE of the Magnificent Seven is much, much, much higher than the rest of the S&P. Prior to this recent rally, I didn't think that the market was that expensive in itself, but clearly some of the largest stocks in the market are very expensive and I think are susceptible to risk. And, and they, they're so big that they could drive the rest of the market down. But the recent rally has increased the valuations a little bit. Um, and then, you know, it's a weird looking bull market because the, the percentage of stocks underperforming the S&P is 71%. So you can see that it's the highest, you know, in the last 23 years. And, and that's just a function of, uh, for much of the year, the very large majority of the rally was those top seven stocks. All of which were, were I believe all of them, which were down quite substantially last year. I know almost all of them, if not all of them. So how big of a pullback are you willing to take? So let's say that the market's a little frothy and pulls back 20%. We get a normal bear market, okay? So that means you're going to need 25% to recover. And that's, you know, so you really have to stay invested and you need to be there for the the um, uh, for the rally. You know, a lot of a lot of times people panic and they miss the rally. And the rally is normally sharpest when the panic is the greatest, right? So if you miss those few best days, you really miss out. But I just put this in there because so investors can kind of contextualize. You know, everyone's comfortable with risk when the market's you know raging upwards, but often they're not comfortable when when uh, it pulls back. So always keep this in mind. So how do we set you up for success at TTCM? Every investment is handpicked and thoroughly researched based on our deep value principles. Uh, you know, we have a team that works together, uh, which I head, uh, that does the investment analysis. So that's what I spend most of my time doing. 
We build focus portfolios based on maximizing risk-adjusted returns as opposed to the overly diversified approach. So definitely more focused, but less concentrated uh, uh, than probably five years ago. And, and the reason why is I, I think that the world's changed a little bit. Uh, I think that 2020's taught some lessons uh, that that you know we hadn't seen. We'd never seen uh, a global effort to shut down the economy, you know. And and if you didn't have stimulus, that could have been just so catastrophic. It already was, but but it could have been far far worse. So. I don't think you want to take as much concentration risk necessarily, but you still want to be more focused. And then we utilize strategies such as covered calls, cash secured puts, which can generate reasonable returns in poor market conditions and which generally result in less losses in bear markets. So very big fan of those strategies. They don't always work to your advantage. Sometimes you give up upside, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes they're not going to protect you as much you know, as you'd hope that they would or something like that. But but basically they're tools. And and if you use them effectively and use them as part of a sh- comprehensive strategy and you're, you're, you know, we're professionals at this, we've done it for a long time, uh, I think it adds a lot of value. So just a simple primer on, on the concept of margin of safety. This is the key to value investing. So a stock is a fractional share of a business. Every business or stock has an intrinsic value. The intrinsic value of a business generally changes at a much slower rate than the price of a publicly traded stock can change. Over time, the intrinsic value of a business and the stock market value of a business converge. Could take 90 days, it could take three years. The timing's always most difficult. But by buying that business at a substantial discount to intrinsic value, you are thereby creating an adequate margin of safety. So two quick quotes from Warren Buffett. Interest rates are to asset prices what gravity is to the apple. When there are low interest rates, there's a very low gravitational pull on asset prices. This is what's interesting. We saw a massive increase in interest rates, yet asset prices really kept rising. I mean, there were pockets of weakness, uh, you know, uh, in 2022 equities, uh, commercial real estate. But you look at residential, I mean, some markets have come down, some markets are up. I mean, the prices are still ridiculous there. Uh, And you look at equities this year. You know, so so who knows? Maybe maybe uh, that's a delayed impact that we're still to see. And then he says, I would consider a year in which we declined 15% and the Dow declined 30% to be much superior to a year when both we and the average advanced 20%. Over periods of time, there are going to be good and bad years. There's nothing to be gained by getting enthused or depressed about the sequence in which they occur. So we were very proud. You know, last year, the S&P was down 20, the NASDAQ was down 30, and we were barely down. Uh, at all. And, and, and this year we've had a great year. Um, and, and that's still, we were even more defensively positioned this year than we were last year, I would say, but, but there still are ways to make money, especially when you get a great rally uh, with, with the way interest rates declined at the last part of this year. So I think it's smart to stay defensive here and, and that's kind of how we're positioned, but doesn't mean you can't get, you know, very, very solid double digit uh, above double digit declines uh, with good security selection or double digit increases, I should say, excuse me, excuse me. Okay. So let's talk about a few specific stocks, Vici properties. So this is a company, it's a real estate investment trust, a triple net one, which means that they don't pay uh, you know, the insurance or, or maintenance uh, of the real estate. They, they pass that on to uh, the, the companies that are leasing it. The primary uh, leases are the uh, are the casinos. So they own the Venetian, they own 
Caesar's Palace. They own a lot of a lot of those large casinos in Vegas and elsewhere. They're expanding uh, to some other uh, entertainment type type of uh, uh, real estate locations that are scalable. Uh, they just they just acquired some Bolero, some bowling alleys, really like upscale, trendy bowling alleys. Um, so on the 26th, it was trading at 31.34. It has a price to AFFO. This is kind of their price to earnings in the real estate world, price to free cash flow kind of, of 14.6. So it has an AFFO yield of 6.84. And keep in mind that they're gonna they're they're likely to be able to grow that by you know five to seven percent conservatively per year. And then the dividend alongside that. So right now it has a dividend yield of 5.3%. So this is not distressed real estate whatsoever. They have 100% occupancy. Uh, their leases all have annual escalators. And a lot of these leases are 40 years, you know? So so very, very conservative. So we think the company's worth roughly 38.50 per share. Uh, AFFO is supposed to be 233 in 2025. And so this little table shows you that if, they hit kind of their normal uh, valuation, which is about 16 and a half. You'd get uh, a, a total rate of return of 35.27% or 16% a year. So we view this as being uh, quite, quite attractive. Uh, you know, a big percentage of the return or relatively is, is dividends because you're, you're getting that 5.3% a year. So even if the stock's flat, let's say the market's kind of flat or negative, and you get 5.3 from the dividend, that's really good, but there's also upside. Okay, excuse me there. All right. Another one, Kennedy Wilson. Uh, so this is a real estate company. It's not a REIT, uh, but they're based out of Los Angeles and they have, they have uh, assets globally, a lot in Europe, a lot in Ireland, uh, the United Kingdom. Uh, they, they're... Their biggest area of, of, of operating is, is multifamily. And uh, then they also have, they also have um, some office, but mostly of, most of that's in Europe where it's kind of a different market, a lot more stable than it is here. And they have hotels uh, and they have some retail as well. And they also have an investment management company that's growing quite rapidly. Uh, so, so I like the business a lot. And the bonds are trading at pretty cheap levels. Uh, so, so on the twenty sixth, uh, the twenty thirty bond uh, is is trading at eighty one oh eight. So the yield to maturity is eight point eight three percent. So the way to think about that is if you hold this till twenty thirty, uh, and and it expires at par, then uh, you will make eight point eight three percent a year. So that's a really nice return. It's equity-like, especially let's say the equity markets don't perform well. Well, this is really solid, you know, and this was a company that was issuing debt at 4.75% just a couple of years ago, you know, so so the yields just about doubled. Uh, the market cap's just under $2 billion. And and so so this is the type of bond that we're hand-selecting for folks and, and we like it a lot, uh, so... They just finished a, a major period of, of spending. Uh, so big CapEx dollars. They have some uh, projects in Hawaii and, and in Dublin, Ireland uh, that they finished. And so those capital uh, requirements are going to decrease the next few years. So they should be able to really start harvesting their cash flows. The next one we're going to talk about is Transocean Rig. So uh, this is the offshore oil well driller. Uh, they own 
one of a kind assets in, in many respects. So there's only so many of these rigs uh, and, and, you know, shale production is really slowing down. And so they're needing to find more oil offshore and the economics are getting much, much better out there. And so there's been a lot of key discoveries in Brazil and Suriname and, and Guyana. Uh, and so these bonds are, are trading at 92.14 with a yield to maturity of 10.31%. Uh, the equity has a market cap of over 5 billion. So uh, prices are, are, have been roaring. The daily rates that they're able to charge for their offshore rigs are over 400,000 and, and they're likely going to go to 500,000. Uh, assuming oil prices stay relatively stable or, or even if they go up a little bit, which is very possible. Uh, because there's just been no new development of rigs. So supply is really limited. Rig has some assets, uh, some, some rigs that are cold stack, which means they're not earning revenues right now, but that's going to be basically the source of industry growth. So as more projects come online, and these projects do take a little while, uh, they're going to be huge beneficiaries and so we really like we really like the debt. I'm not as big a fan on the equity. The equity probably has more upside, but way more risk. I like the debt a lot, and 10.31% is excellent. Okay, uh, PayPal. So you know, this year we had big positions going into the year on on stocks like Meta, uh, the old Facebook and Google, and Amazon, which you know had all come down materially last year, and you know they they were kind of no-brainers in my opinion because they were trading at such good valuations, great free cash flow metrics. And I think PayPal's interesting going into this next year. I don't feel as convinced as I did on those, uh, but I feel good about it. And so uh, it was trading at 61.84, which is about 12.41 PE. Uh, 2025, they should earn about $6.25 uh, adjusted operating earnings. And their historical growth rate has been about 16%. Sure, I mean, that's slowed down a little bit, um, but it, they're still projected to grow and they have kind of new CEO coming in that I think is going to clean up a lot of it. Uh, the 52-week high is 88.63. And you can see here in this table, if they hit a PE of 18 uh, on the estimated earnings of 625, that puts the stock at 112.50 which would be about an 81.92% total return or 34.36% annualized. So I think it's, you know, I think there's a lot of upside potential on a stock like that. I think you can even make it more conservative with using some options if you want to, but the upside's worth it where I think it's interesting. Now, I want to I want to reiterate this isn't financial advice uh if if you're not a client or something like that uh but uh but you know, these are the types of things that we do for our clients. Okay. So then we're going to get to the last section here. So we're going to talk about options. So according to the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, about three quarters of op options held to expiration expired worthless. So there's some inherent advantages to selling options. We use options as a tool to add that element of timing, which you don't have when you're just buying stocks. We use them to generate income, reduce risk, lower our cost basis, and sell at prices that we are comfortable selling at, not speculation. I'm not going to call you saying we should buy these calls we don't charge commissions or anything like that. So here, I'm going to work on an example of the different strategies. So Altria is the stock, ticker symbol MO, trading at 4034. Uh, I understand a lot of people don't like tobacco and stuff like that. I don't like it either, but, but this is just an example. So take it for what it is, please. 
So uh, we're going to do a, we're going to sell a put. So we're going to sell one January, 2025, $40 put for $3 and 65 cents a share or $365 total. Cause there's a hundred shares in each contract. The maximum risk is 3,635. If so think of it as a, a flip of a coin heads or tails. There's only two things that can happen. Uh, if, if, Ultra expires above 40 in 388 days, you will collect the full target profit of $365 or 10% on the maximum risk. This equates to 9.43% annualized. So that's heads. Tails. If Ultra expires below 40, you're going to own 100 shares at a break even of 36.35 because you collected that premium and you'll have all the upside or downside from there. Therefore, the stock could go down 9.8% by expiration before you lose a penny. Now, the dividend yield at that price would be 10.8% per year, uh, given the 392 per share annual dividend. All right. So, so you know, you're at we feel like at that price, the stock would be a real bargain. Uh, they're slated to keep growing earnings per share. Some of that's from stock buybacks, uh, but that's a nice more conservative strategy that you can use. Here's another one, covered calls. So we're going to buy 100 shares at 40.34. Concurrently, we're going to sell one, this says 10, sorry about that. We're going to sell one January, 2025, $40 call for $2.75 or $275 total. The maximum risk is 3,759. So once again, heads or tails, if Altria expires above 40 in 388 days, you will collect the full target profit of 275 or 7.3% on the maximum risk from the calls uh, plus another 392 from the stock dividend. So you're not doing this to for stock appreciation, right? You're just basically maximizing the yield. So you get the full 7.3% on the calls plus another 392 from the stock dividend for a total of $670. Uh, $667 or 17.7% on the maximum risk. This equates to 16.7% annualized. So requiring zero appreciation whatsoever, you're getting that, that type of return using this strategy. What's your worst case, right? I think that's pretty competitive. So worst case, if Ultra expires below 40, you're going to own 100 shares at a break even of 37.59 and you'll have all the upside or downside from there. Therefore, the stock could go down 6.8% by expiration before you lose a penny. If you also add the 392 per share dividend you collected from owning the stock for a year, that lowers your break even to 3367 or 16.5%. And you could sell another set of covered calls from there. So I, I, I did this specific example because it's it's funny, it's fun seeing what you can do with an income generating stock like that. So, you know, you're giving up the upside. If, if all trade goes to 50, you'd have made more just holding the stock. Um, but it's a great way to, you know, without taking a ton of risk, assuming you feel confident about the equity, generate a really solid income return, which in a year like this coming year, an election year, you know, if wild stuff happens, that could be kind of a nice little trade. So that, that really concludes the presentation. Um, my contact info is on here, uh, Tim at ttcapitalonline.com. Our website's www.ttvalueinvesting.com. Uh, my direct line is on there as well. And so we provide investment advice, wealth management, and education. Uh, we work with clients all across the country. Our most popular program is the managed account. 
the vast, vast, vast majority of our accounts are at Charles Schwab. It was TD Ameritrade, and then they got bought out by Schwab. Uh, we'd love to work with you. Um, you know, if you have over $200,000 to invest and are, are serious about uh, improving uh, your your uh, financial plan and, and, and financial strategies, you know, give us a call. We, we do a lot more than just portfolio management. Uh, we have a lot of strategies to help you save money on taxes or, or anything that you're really looking to do uh, on this angle, insurance, whatever, whatever uh, you need there. Uh, so thanks so much for joining us. And I hope you all have, have a great rest of your holiday season and I'll talk to you in the new year. Thank you.